Hi, and welcome to Y2K Group Chat. This is a series about how artists navigate through their practice and a behind-the-scenes look into their lives. Y2K Group is an art agency and advisory focused on supporting emerging artists in New York and beyond. Austin Martin White is an artist working in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, living in New York. He received a MFA from Bard and a BFA from Cooper Union. Recent exhibitions include Kathia St. Hilaire and Austin Martin White, Celestial Transits, Derek Eller Gallery, New York. Indefinite Present, Y2K Group, New York. Storage, Storage, New York. The following podcast episode was recorded in late February 2021. Enjoy. I was born in New Mexico, and oh. I was born on an Air Force base because my dad was in the Air Force. Oh, okay. And like for the first, I think eight years of my life, I was like in on going from Air Force base to Air Force base. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you like you become this like non-person because you like, you know, you can make friends, but you know it's temporary. You you can. You know, like there's like this, it's like almost like me and my sister kind of like knew that everything is temporary or kind of have this like everything is temporary kind of like feeling to like everybody that we met because we just moved from place to place. Mm. And um, and every place is kind of in this kind of the way you just described where you grew up. Like it's kind of like this weird generic kind of amalgamation of like, different um of diversity within the united states but in this very kind of specific way like you know there's like you know a couple black families a you know a couple maybe one asian family or one like adopted asian kid um maybe a refugee or like or like uh south east asian or muslim family like mixed in in some sort of weird way it's like being like a translator or some sort of weird thing but like yeah i mean and then like, i don't know like everything is really i don't know it's it's weird and everything kind of like has this kind of in my memory at least like has this kind of milk toast you know, Sunday service kind of like vibe to it, you know, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, like where you're in, like, you know, you're like going, you know, like nobody takes Sunday school seriously, but you have to go to it, but you're with all these weird people. Mm-hmm. But in like the only commonality is that the situation itself is like bizarre. <laughs> and, <laughs> and these white people with sweaters are talking about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean like um no i mean i i kind of i kind of feel that i feel that um i feel where you're where you're coming from in that respect yeah you know getting the art like running a running a gallery and and before you know i went to school for painting so I was kind of like locked in to just like making art and thinking about art. But, you know, um, I still like, you know, I mean, I basically watch like YouTube all the time instead of like TV. So it's just, you know, again, like just with the 
sort of. No, you got to you got to get on books, my bro. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> you got to get on Audible, dog. You got to get some. You got to get some Audible credits, man. Yo, donate to donate to Matthew's Audible credit. <laughs> he needs to read some books. Yeah, like I, I mean, even uh, man, I, I, I feel you because I don't know, like working, you, you, you. I mean, it is like very pleasurable to like listen to music and make stuff in your studio but it also seems like also very i don't know alienating and it's like i mean in you know in retrospective like in in retrospective like a um experience you know because it just seems like i don't know like if things are too pleasurable like or that you're not learning or like progressing in any kind of way like I don't know. It feels like things are like there's a stoppage or something, mm. um, or or it could feel like there's like a stoppage in like um, creativity because I, I feel like it's I don't know. At least for me, it's like kind of linked with like learning, you know, and like the desire to learn, and like the growth of um, learning about something. And for me, I, um. For me, like my, it's I'm fortunate to have like incorporated a kind of learning aspect to my 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 work. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a purely pleasurable thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, I usually like to read book or like listen, mm -hmm. um, read in quotations um, to uh, books, like while I'm like painting or drawing or working or whatever. Mm -hmm. This makes you feel a little bit more productive because you're, you know, you're engaged. Mm -hmm. Whereas like YouTube, it's, you know, like it's such a corrupt, corrupted format. I mean, I feel like anything really with big tech is kind of corrupted at this point, you know, yeah. like it's corrupted with like either ads or corrupted with mm -hmm. like, um, I don't know, like ideologies and the whole idea of an algorithm and what makes it articulate certain views um, is manipulative. And I think like everybody, I think we can't ignore, I think we're at a point where that doesn't sound crazy anymore. Like that sounds like, okay, yeah, that's what people are doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how people, uh, you know, make money, send their kid to college. But like, yeah, like, you know, like, so like, um, it's weird because I feel like when, I was in high school, all tech was like good and it was like kind of underground and you could trust it and mm. like, you know, like, oh, it's not gonna do it because they give everybody shit for free, like LimeWire and like, yeah. uh -huh. you know, like you know Napster. I mean? Napster, yeah, like, Soul -seek. you know, like <laughs> these guys, yeah, SoulSeek, um, like content is just downloadable and we, you know, and that's the way things should be, but it's not, you know, <laughs> there was a cost to that. We just didn't see it. It just came later. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. But, uh, um, yeah. So yeah. How did, um, oh wait, before I go any further, okay. uh, I'm just interested and feel free to say, um, fuck you. <laughs> um okay. but like uh i mean i get asked this a lot because i am quote unquote racially ambiguous 
but uh-huh. you are i feel like two yeah um, and you have i mean you said that you just said that you were adopted mm-hmm. and what could i ask you do you know where you are like where you're where you're originally from like yeah definitely um i mean my um adoption story is i feel like you know like my parents were very supportive you know i've heard a lot of stories about people being adopted and um you know growing up in sort of negative homes or uh having a lot of like anger like within them or just kind of like not having a a good uh, environment. So I guess like for me, like it's not, not something um, I like hide, you know, I guess like, cause like sometimes I will get like questions about it, but like people are unsure how to approach it. And I'm just like, Oh, it's fine. (laughs) But um, yeah. Cause your, cause your last name and just your name generally is like, like if I saw that on a piece of paper and I never met you, I'd just be like, oh, that's an Irish guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, the same thing is with me. You know, like the same thing is with me. Like my name mm-hmm. is like so Anglo generic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just like Austin Martin White. Like nothing to see. Here. <laughs> 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 anyway, sorry. I'm just, I'm digressing. Oh, no, that's all good. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when I was little, I was like, I noticed my skin color was different. So my mom basically had to tell me, you know, like, Oh, you're adopted and you're not, you know, you're not white, even though I kind of grew up sort of feeling white. It's very, it's very weird. But, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm. Uh, I was born in Juliaca, Peru, which is near mm-hmm. Lake Titicaca, and mm-hmm. I found out I'm a part of the Aymara tribe, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, so actually I'm indigenous South American, and oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. How did you find out? How did you find this out? If I if I may ask. Oh. Um, it's also an interesting story, kind of like weird. I think about it a lot. Just, uh, I mean, we can get in, maybe get into it later, but kind of whole the whole destiny free will thing. But um, basically, like my dad worked at a hospital and he was a nurse, and mm-hmm. um, him and and my mom were trying to have another child, but they were having problems. And he had a coworker who was Peruvian, uh, mm. who was also a nurse. And yeah, so his his friend, his coworker, her cousin's name was Elena, and she uh, ran an adoption agency in Peru. And okay. so there was this like connection there because, I guess yeah, this was like the '80s, so I think adoption mm-hmm. was kind of hard. And based on like how you like applied for it, I think they there was like probably your probably your income levels. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that too. I I like, but like there are certain countries that you uh, that were more easy for people to adopt from. So Mm -hmm. I think like my parents said originally that they're they're almost gonna adopt someone from Asia, 
but mm-hmm. for some reason it didn't work out. But um, yeah, so then they're kind of, I think they're like kind of, it wasn't working out, but then like my dad's coworker had this connection. So it actually like happened extremely fast because they're like, oh, there's this little boy who's, um, you know, his mother put him up for adoption. So yeah, it happened very fast. Huh. And my parents flew to Peru in the late 80s um, and basically did all the legal stuff, you know, and brought me back. But they thought it was a little scary because there was some um, uh, Peruvian terrorists um, and a lot of bad stuff happening in Peru at at that time. But um, Yeah, it was Escobar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, pro- I mean, connect maybe loosely. I mean, there's a lot of things happening in South America at that yeah. time in the mm-hmm. '80s, so could have been anything. That's beautiful, though, man. Like, <laughs> but uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's just. Do you have any memories? Like, do you have any memories? Um, like before you came to the United States, or is it just like you have all you felt like all your memories have been sort of stored here? I mean, I know this is a difficult question. No. So I, don't... <laughs> <laughs> so I don't expect, you know, if you can't answer it, just don't, you don't have to. Like, But, I mean, I'm just interested in it. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, when was your earliest memory? What is it? Right. I mean, is yeah. it like, and then how it, you know, like how, you know, as you move through time as a person, like you're, um, kind of memory just like things sort of just blend into I mean things you read and things you know this like sort of like narrative that you tell yourself or whatever and it, mm-hmm. I don't know like I just wonder like you know what do you, do you remember because um, I like I don't like I remember small portions of like different fragments of places that I lived when I was younger, mm-hmm. but nothing sticks, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because my parents took a lot of photographs and then there's even some like early home videos when I'm really young, but, um, that I've seen before, but I can't really like distinguish if what I'm remembering is like from like the if the photograph or the video is like helping me remember Mm -hmm. or like if i just remember it without that so yeah it's kind of weird but i would say like my earliest memory must have been just like i don't even know like maybe like starting in kindergarten or something. I mean, I can't really remember when I was really little okay. in a weird yeah. way, but there's all these countless photographs of me as a baby, you know, so I can kind of just like piece it together from that. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. But, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry to get so personal. Oh no, um, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So what I, you want to talk about art or do you want to talk about what do you want to talk about 
should we go through the the questions or um yeah sure i mean or you know whatever we can it can be can be a freestyle too i mean i don't mind freestyling either but mm -hmm. um but yeah if you want to if you want to go through the questions yeah hit me hit me hit me <laughs> <laughs> Do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, this ties in pretty well. But what were your first memories of art? First memories of art. Hmm. Got fucking perfect segue, man. Perfect segue. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> um. My my first memories of art. Um. I think it was when, um, actually, when I got out of, when we left the Air Force Base, mm -hmm. when we left, when my dad, like, quit the Air Force, like, we moved back to, Det well, we moved to Detroit, where, like, my mother's family and my father are from, and, well, my mother's family's not from Detroit, but they live in Detroit, um, but, uh, but, yeah, we moved back to Detroit, and I was having difficulty <laughs> adjusting to like being in one place at like one uh, place yeah. for longer than six months. And um, uh, my mother and my grandmother, because my grandmother's like pretty, like pretty. I mean, I th I think I get a, I get a lot of inspiration from my grandmother because she was she's just been a person who like from day one has just always believed in me as like a creative person and she's a creative person. Oh, wow. And like, so she, um, I mean, but I feel like she was, in, you know, it was at like a point in whatever, like in just her life too, like where she never really got the opportunity to be, you know, to realize that or actualize that as a person in her life. Mm -hmm. So I feel like she kind of like, you know, saw that maybe, in in me so um so she had she was like she did a bunch of stuff she did like um she did like uh ceramics and she did watercolors and she did um textiles and she yeah she just did a lot of stuff and she had um a friend that was uh who taught um and she was German and she, she taught like a water, she was like an artist, artist, artist. And she taught like watercolor classes hmm. and, be, you know, because I was like a dis, you know, uh, antisocial youth or whatever, not even youth, like adolescent, like I, um, they were like, oh, maybe this will chill him out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, um, so yeah, I, I I went to these watercolor classes and like it, you know, in fact it did chill me out. And like um and yeah, I got really got you know, I got really into like painting and you know, and then it just became like a thing that I did, you know, like a thing that I would you know, I always had sketchbooks and you know and I would fill them up, you know. And you know, as time went on you know, did other stuff. But yeah, I guess going to that watercolor class or being having my mom take me there. Um, 
I mean, it had to be like, yeah. I mean, it was really weird. It was like some weird old lady, <laughs> you know, and like painting painting watercolors on her patio for a summer. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I, it was, I mean, it's not like, you know, this is Detroit. It's not like New York where if you, if I said that, it's like, oh, you'll come from privilege. Like, oh, you went to the upper, upper west side, you painted on the patio. Like, no, this was like Detroit. This was like a fucked up place. And like people were poor and like, this is just some random ass lady who liked to paint. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. So, I mean, it was, um, so no, but I mean, it was, it was great. I think that was my first memory. Yeah. Now to answer your question mm-hmm. and finalize this question part done. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's, what's the next one? <laughs> um, well, uh, with that, when did you decide to become an artist? Sort of like your origin story. My origin story. When did I decide? I don't know. I feel like I've been hot and cold about being an artist forever. Oh, okay. Uh, like, I feel like, I don't know, like, growing up in, like, I don't know, for the formative years of my life, like, growing up in Detroit and it being a place of, you know, not very, not... People don't live like they live in the East Coast in Detroit. It was like kind of expected, like, okay, you're gifted, but you have to like apply this to, you know, some sort of corporate, like you have to be able to sell yourself, you know? So that shit always, that shit always like turned me off, man. Mm -hmm. And like, I always was like, but at the same time, it was always like kind of something that was pushed on me. You know, so I was always like doubted, like, oh, I can't do that because it's like my parents will think I'll be poor and like I won't be able to take care of my parents and mm. everything will go wrong. And I don't know, I still feel like that. But like, um, but no, so I always denied my, I was like, like head faked, like being an artist. <laughs> like I, I like, so when I went, uh, so initially, like, I think like, when I decided was, I think probably when I started at Cooper, because before I started at Cooper, I went to this, I went for like one semester to this place called CCS in Detroit, which is Uh college or not, no college for creative studies now. Mm -hmm. Um, And there I met Kevin Beasley and another guy named Mike, Mike E. Smith a sculptor and um i don't know like i i I mean i i mean like i met them but you know we you know i wasn't we weren't tight i'm not gonna try to like whatever but like you know i knew like like kevin had like a space with like a bunch of mutual friends and mike had a bunch of other mutual friends and you know we were kind of in this there's this kind of a circle of, i mean it's a very small community in detroit so like everybody knows each other so um 
Yeah, there was that. I think, and then uh, my best friend, uh, when when we were applying to college for school, he, we went to this college. It was I remember because it was the first day I drove, like the first day I got my license and could drive a car, which is a big deal in Detroit. So like, um, because there's no public transportation. So, um, so we, so we went to this college fair thing, and I just remember my friend going and like. We went to all the places, SVA and Pratt mm-hmm. and wherever, and we went to, and then there's a Cooper table, and you know it was Mike Essel, and he was he, we I know now because I went, but at the time I didn't know who he was. I just thought he was like, oh man, this is cool guy with tattoos, but like, <laughs> but he, like he looked at like he looked at my friend's sketchbook. I mean, my friend just brought a sketchbook, and like. He was like, oh, my God, wow, you're fucking Jesus Christ. You're amazing. Here you go, kid. You just put this name on your fucking uh, on your with your application or whatever, and you'll get like an early admission. So he's like, basically, they're basically just like admitted my friend at this college fair. And I was like, damn, man, I could never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, because my friend like me and him like we've been best friends since we were fucking we've been best friends since we were eight years old since wow. i basically moved to detroit oh. and we share a studio get together now and um awesome. and uh but yeah man i mean he was a real inspiration to actually like be like damn i could do this thing hmm. you know so he was like awesome man you you know we, i was at ccs like and my major was like was uh auto design you know it's oh, like wow. draw cars yeah. and, <laughs> and like because you know everybody was like oh you got to make money and like mm. oh you got those loans though like and you gotta like pay the loans off and it's just like this fucking racket man mm. and you just kind of see like how much of a racket like just higher education is in that like kind of situation where it's just like, Oh, you got to get the certification to get this job at Ford to draw cars for the rest of your life (laughs) and like live on 45,000 or $50,000 a year. And yeah, you know, like, and it's just like, wow, that just sounds like a dead end. You know what I mean? And then you're paying. And then on top of that, you're paying for it. And then you're unhappy. And like my dad is, after my dad got got through with the Air Force, he went into automotive because my mother, you know, that's why my mother's family is even in Detroit because they're, my mother is from England. She's born in England. And my, my mother's side of the family is all from England. So they like, they're immigrants from fucking England to like, to like, you know, like, and they're immigrants because my grandfather is an engineer. You know, and he mm-hmm. they he got you know there were no jobs after World War II in England because the shit was bombed to fuck. Yeah. So he was like, oh shit, I got to get a job. There's where's the paper at? And so he went to fucking America because it was the only place where mo- there was money to be made doing what he did. I'm digressing further, but like, but yeah, I think like that was the moment when I got into Cooper Union. That was the moment where I was like, I could be an artist. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. I think that was the moment where I actually kind of believed in myself. But even when I was at Cooper, I was like dabbling with the idea because like there's so many 
fucking talented people at Cooper. Like, you know, like it, I don't know what it's like now, but when I was there, it was just, I mean, everybody I went to class with later, you know, you meet them, you met them back then, or you had a class with them or something. And you're like, fuck, that person is incredibly charming or that that person is just like amazing Mm -hmm. i how could i can't even live up to that like that person is just and i i felt a little bit defeated when i was at cooper just because i was such a like mediocre person and like i was pretty and then like so i dabbled with this idea of like i can never make it as an artist why don't i just because i have no charisma why don't i just uh why don't i just why don't i just like let's apply to the architecture school see if you could just do some practical shit like just do drawings for the rest of your life that's really what you just want to do anyway so <laughs> so like i applied i i applied and i didn't get in and i had to stay in the school of art and i was like i don't know on top of like moving from podunk ass detroit to big time new york um there's a lot of adjustment that happened there. So there's a lot of confusion, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, what, I mean, I don't know. I, I still, I, the thing that grounded me during all of that turmoil was doing art and it's always kind of grounded me too. So I don't know. I think about that a lot and I think about that's kind of what keeps me doing it. And it's not like, uh, it's not like, uh, oh, shit, I'm fucking successful at this. Like, all right, like, let's make bread. Like, okay, like, you know, let me fucking, you know, copy a bunch of shit and just, like, sell that shit. Like, no, it's like, you know, like, this for real, like, psychologically, like, I can't fucking, I can't, like, be a normal person. I can't, like, deal with life, like, if I don't, like make something i mean it's like kind of like fidgeting or having like a restless leg syndrome or something like i kind of have to do it to like give myself some sort of like peace but yeah but yeah i don't know i think i keep going really long-winded on all the answers to these questions so i'm sorry about that no it's okay Did you ever make abstraction in the past or have you always been interested in figurative painting? Okay. So that, that one is interesting question. Um, I have actually, I've been interested in both, Mm -hmm. um, but I've done them in separate ways. If that makes any sense. Like, and I've dedicated um, years of my life to both of those things individually, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I've arrived right now. I feel like, which I feel really good about. It's like, I feel like I've arrived at this moment where my interest in abstraction or what I like to cloak in the term formalism, like I, merge those two interests you know so um so yeah i mean i i i have had periods of time i mean even before i mean what led me to discover um process that i use now which is like 
pushing rubber through a screen mm -hmm. um, and pigmenting the rubber before I push it through um, and then stretching the reverse image onto um, a stretcher bar over either linen or burlap or canvas um, is by an interest in um, just becoming really fixated on something that is very abstract, which was textiles, you know, and how the, the physical nature of looking at a textile. Um, and that's, I think, and the sensation of that has been something that I've wanted to use, but like, I've, I feel like it needed that form needed like a structure to kind of exist in. And then I kind of see, I guess what you would call figurative, but what I kind of call referential um, imagery um, is just mediated by that kind of formal instinct or, or aspiration or whatever, you know? So, I mean, my goal is to, <laughs> make a really good texture, <laughs> but like, you know, I have to, you know, but, and I think I learn, I think I like the content and the structure to kind of be an autopilot thing um, that is, you know, that is selected with purpose and, and with care. And I mean, if during the pandemic, I got to, place a lot more care and um, and um, rigorousness with um, or rigor with um, actually sourcing what I reference and and using it as collage um, with drawing so but I you know the reference is always the what I see is like the structure in which the form is push through because I kind of think of kind of think of like art as it's I mean I've, I think about this after the fact but um and I think when I initially went into it it's just a, or started down this road of making the work that I make now like I I, I initially think of it as like an experiment a formal experiment but like with these like givens you know what I mean like oh okay you have to use a reference from this time period about, you know, this incident, you know, that could be, that co could correlate, I mean, which ideally w would correlate with um, a, a, I don't know, a way, I guess, historic, hi history is being framed that you're in your present moment, you know, I mean, it never, you, I mean, you can never be truly accurate, but at the same time, it's not necessarily about predicting anything. It's it's more about like capturing. I mean, because essentially, when you look back at when you look at paintings from specific time periods, and you think like, oh, what was? Why did he paint it like this? Okay, like what? What? Uh, what you know, why is this gesture this in this particular way? I mean, it's it's a lot of that is 
instinctual by, done by the artist, but at the same time, a, a lot of that is an amalgamation of, of images that artist looked at and then also trying to use that reference to like kind of posture um, towards a, you know, maybe a like mimetic sense mm -hmm. of um, sense of like images as they move through history or, or feelings or whatever. So that, I mean, that's my approach. So that's kind of something I refined during, during quarantine, but um, I, I, I will at least refine my thinking about it during quarantine. I mean, I think I did it before, but I just didn't know how to articulate it. But um, <laughs> I always like, when you answer the question, I'm like, how do we get here again? Like, what was <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I feel like I am a rabbit hole. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, all right. What, what's, what's the next one? <laughs> Well, um, I mean, that's kind of interesting the way you're talking about it, um, how just, you know, throughout history, I guess, artists kind of create this like vocabulary for themselves or like kind of mental archive and then try to like express what they want through like just, you know, images they've seen and um, or, you know, what they learn from the outside world or within themselves but um yeah this this next question is uh who are some of the artists you studied or find inspiration from now there's people i look at formally right there's people i look at and i'm like damn that's a beautiful fucking like that's a beautiful painting jesus mm -hmm. christ <laughs> yeah and then there's also like people that i'm like damn that person persevered like damn that artist like that you know that artist really dedicated themselves to what they wanted you know um in terms of you know they they didn't kind of conform to some sort of like social norm or or even aesthetic norm you know so um yeah, I mean, all right. I mean, I can go off the books that are laying in my, the books that I have in my studio. I mean, I have a lot of books. I have like, I have like, uh, I have so many books. It's crazy. It's huge. No, like, <laughs> uh, no, I, I have, I have, I, I'm, I am an avid uh, book collector. I love like art books. And so I collect them. And I was at one point like, collecting them and trading them for money and it's like, wow. like stupid but but um but yeah I have a lot of art books so but what I have in my studio right now is a book a Peter Dwight book mm -hmm. a um, Bob Thompson book a Sigmar Pope book um, a Peter Schoolworth book and um, a Chris Ophelia book okay nice um yeah so I, I like to look at them when I'm thinking about things and, you know, um, yeah. Oh, and, and I have oops, snuck away. I have this like book that was like the book for this museum show um, at, the, at the Philadelphia Museum of Art um, that was uh, about like um, African textiles uh, 
called uh, like wax cloth textiles um, that were like done in in Holland, I think in Belgium, but they were like this trade that like went back and forth between um, Holland and I think Congo um, or Ivory Coast. I'm not, I'm probably flunking on this test, but, um, <laughs> but I'm not sure. But the, I mean, it, it is a, a type of textile I think is very, um, very, very common. I mean, in terms of in, um, I don't know, an Africa, Africana, like aesthetic, but um, they have like an interesting history because the the history of them is that they're they're like these designs that are made in Europe, but then they're sold in, you know. So it's about this like market res like call and response between like Europe and Africa, which I kind of think is very interesting. So like they have weird things like it'll be a design of like cell phones and like computers, but it's like really beautiful and formal, and you don't even think that they're like cell phones and computers. You just think of them as like design. You know, like design elements. So, like the abstraction is like so so powerful that you don't even notice the signifiers within it. And I kind of think that's like really interesting. You know, and I've always thought that was like really interesting. But um, but yeah, those yeah, those are the those are the things I'm looking at right now. And in terms of the people that I look up to, or I like that I'm like, damn, like Jacqueline Humphreys is somebody like I'm. I've always been like, damn. <laughs> um uh um some people from that i've experienced in my life as like professors and stuff like um when i went to bard i went there to go i, I applied because i wanted to kind of study and pick the brain of cheney thompson unfortunately i didn't get to do that as much as i wanted to because he left like the year after <laughs> after uh, i started yeah. so i didn't get to really build a relationship the way i wanted to with him but it's cool you know respect mm -hmm. anyway um no he i thought he he was a very interesting guy both intellectually and um formally like with what he does um uh thomas edgar who who is teaching there now who's pretty been pretty cool like as a person just like wow i you know going into grad school not being aware of people and then becoming aware of them like and then having their kind of style and approach to things um kind of grow on you um that's been kind of cool um Ulrika, who is the ch both the chairs are pretty aspirational um Ulrika muller and um cameron roland pretty awesome Oh, wow. Pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty awesome people. Mm -hmm. People both in, like, you know, as people, you know, and also as, like, artists in the world, you know, like, so, um, yeah, I guess that, I mean, I, there's probably a long list of people, but yeah. no, okay. <laughs> that changes every day. But, <laughs> but like, you know, the, right now, I mean, I, I mean, look at that, you know, that's a pretty good pretty good um roster i guess for that for the answer to that question cool um well how has drawing played a role within your practice and how and how has your drawing evolved since grad school and then um 
kind of a follow-up question. What did you think of grad school and what was your mindset like post-school? Post-school. Okay. Well, um, I mean, I always draw and I've, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. I've always draw, drawn and draw. So it's always changing, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think maybe over the years I've become more attuned to the actual material, getting in, yeah, attuned to the, the actual material nature of, of drawing and what goes into or what constitutes a drawing materially. I've gotten into that idea. Um, so, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm very interested in, like, how a Sharpie soaks a piece soaks into a piece of paper or how the tooth of a certain kind of piece of paper can um can like affect um different um grades of like lead lead pencil you know just like you know and i don't know just how that that material interaction i think i've grown to appreciate as it as i've gone through the years drawing um I guess that's that one. And then the, how did it change from grad school to now? Um, grad school to now, hmm, I don't know. Now I've figured out how to automate my thing, but like, but, <laughs> but, um, but like no, but when I started, um, yeah, my work before grad school, I was really meticulous. And like, it was kind of, I kind of had like this op- oppositional, attitude towards the concept of a machine or a machine made mark and um i felt like in my work because at the time is pretty pretty hard edge abstract like geometric abstraction kind of thing but it was like kind of about for me it was like kind of about this repetitive mark that was made and then that accumulates into these like different geometric forms um and then um, when I got into grad school, drawing, it's funny that you mentioned drawing because drawing was like, it's like kind of my only weapon when I got there. Cause I was like fucking broke. And like, I was like, I'm not paying for fucking any materials. Like, fuck that. Like, I'm not bringing fucking art. I mean, all right. So I got it. I went to Bard. Um, and so Bard is different than other grad schools cause it's a low residency program. So you meet, uh, for two months, um, in the summers. Uh, for three years um, and then you have like a you have a um, it's called a low residency and you have a um, you have basically three um, kind of free terms where you're like kind of on your own in your studio back wherever you're from or wherever you live and to make work that you present in the summer essentially so you kind of essentially make work on your own and then come and have it evaluated in the summer um so it's a kind of different vibe than um i don't know yale columbia Mm -hmm. uh vca uh you know the other programs 
um, where it's like kind of this like pressure cooker. You got to go to the pit, get your ass handed to you every week, but you got to keep grinding. To G, you know, you like, so like, it's kind of a more chill, like take on, like, yeah. <laughs> on um, grad school, which I kind of appreciated because what that kind of two-year school doesn't do for you that bar does for you is that if you play it correctly some people don't do this but the way that i looked at it was like okay you have to kind of figure out how to be an artist in the world mm -hmm. which in a fucked up way means that you have to hold some court sort of like real estate which will be your aka studio and then you have to like you know you have to do that while juggling a job while going like while reading these you know reading these reading 500 pages on blah, 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 you know? <laughs> so it kind of like pushes you to be a better artist in like kind of a really practical way. Um, and then it also, you know, it also can, it's like kind of can fit into your life um, if, you know, you are not like 22 years or 24 years old or something. Yeah. So, so um so when I was there, like I was like, yeah, fuck money. Um, I was like, fuck spending money. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, what am I doing? All right, what is the basic basis of what I'm doing? I'm like, all right, I'm making marks in a lattice form and building it up to create some sort of form. And that's the, that's the voila of what I do essentially at this moment at that moment when i started grad school so what i did was like i bought this um and what i was doing was creating these small marks it's kind of interesting because it kind of it leads into what i do now but like mm -hmm. i bought this like these big rolls of this it was kind of like the same kind of it was kind of like the screen that i use now but it's like for patching big breaks in drywall so it's like this thing that has like, a, it's like a screen that has like adhesive that you can attach to a wall. And so what I did was I would take that, create kind of, take that roll, like stick it to the wall and then like cut out forms. And then inside all of the like little squares that were the like kind of screen of this mesh, I would like make like marks of different variation. Um, kind of like, Oh, whatever. I'm, it's kind of like a lot of people actually, but like, um, yeah, so I did that. I made these, it is like wall drawings that were just made out of lead pencil that were like, you know, I wasn't going to bring it home with me. It was, it was just going to be like, I'm going to present this and see if, you know, I'm going to basically, I'm going to throw this turd against the wall and see if it sticks, you know? So like, like I did that, you know, like, and then people, I mean, I, I think it was like a funny crit, like when I show, like I, I spent like a week before my, when I found out my critique day and, I, and it was like, I spent like a week doing these drawings. So it was like a lot of work, you know, and it was like really tedious. And it was like, I'd have to be on an, a ladder for like four hours straight, like making wow. like these like little marks on this like section of the wall that I, you know, so it was like, but at the same time, it was like kind of just like, like it was throw away in this weird way because it was just like yeah no none of this work is 
gonna go with me anywhere it's just like for this moment in time it's just this drawing i'm gonna do it and then like you know the right after the critique i'm just gonna take some paint and roll over it and that's it (laughs) you know i spent like you know i spent like a week doing these marks and like that's it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i mean there that was like kind of something to that but um not much um i think i think mainly it was the form you know that i was interested in so so from there, like I kind of evolved in, well, the, the whole concept of, of using the screen kind of came before that, but, um, and that was like at, in, at Skowhegan and that was very serendipitous. Um, but yeah, you know, that I, I, and then from there, like at the end of Bard, my, you know, my third year, I uh, I was like doing full, you know, illustrations of like, you know, that were amalgamations basically of like different um, different paintings through like, I guess that could be associated with the history of ethnography, um, and I made them into these like kind of mystical, kind of mythic. Uh, I would say mythic. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're like kind of mythological, like kind of illustrations. I mean, they're, I mean, they're interesting, but like, you know, they're very, you know, there's like a fine line and I think they're like right on that line and a little bit on the side of illustration. So, but Uh I mean, but yeah, it's like a, been a, a weird, you know, and I've, you know, and right now it's kind of great because what I do is I kind of like, emerge between that like instinct to do this like very rigid formal thing using like a lattice or using like a a grid system and then integrating that with like you know you know these drawings or this drawing instinct of like sort of remixing um historical paintings you know from from or etchings or images just from specific time periods but yeah I left grad school right so I had I mean being at Bard and then also like being a fucking art handler you know lowest rung on the totem pole of the art world um, and being treated like shit for like Mm -hmm. fucking I mean even before that I worked as an art handler too and you're just treated like garbage and like um I did that I (laughs) worked at that job and then I had a studio in red I got I made this kind of stupid decision because uh um a person I went to grad school with they their mother ran a gallery and at the graduate I met her at the grad at the um at the thesis show at Bard Mm -hmm. and they were like oh I want to know more about your work blah 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 like and then like you know I spoke with her later and then she was like okay yeah would you want to do this art fair in Chicago and I'm like yeah (laughs) and like so and like okay we'll use this work from your thesis show I'm like all right great and so I sent this painting I, I did for my thesis to this fair in Chicago, Expo Chicago. Oh, cool. And um, they sold it, and, and, they, and I sold it to Nick Cave, the, yeah, awesome. the sculptor. And that was pretty cool because I 
growing up in Detroit, he I think he teaches at this place called Cranbrook, which is oh yeah, is outside, kinda... which is it's like a graduate school weird cult like <laughs> sort of in a weird way. Yeah, very yeah. like Midwest upper crust <laughs> <laughs> arts and crafts. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright style kind of thing, Whoa. and um, he he teaches there because he went there, and then they have a really good text uh, textiles department. I think he went to the textiles department for oh, a nice. But um, yeah, he like liked my work and bought it. I didn't get to meet him or anything like that, but I wish I did. But whatever. But anyway, I had a little money, so I was like, oh, cool, like, all right, like, this is it, like, I'm going to get a studio mm -hmm. in Red Hook, I'm going to finally be an artist, a New York, you know, uh, lives and works in New York on the CV, like, you know, like, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, because I weirdly, I don't know, maybe I was striving for that, I don't know, maybe I wasn't, but in this weird way, I was like, yeah, finally, I can make, you know, live and work in New York, but like, um, because at the time while I was in grad school, I was pretty much living in Philadelphia. No. So I got that in the studio. The studio was like really too expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, the practice like for the scale of work that I make, it didn't really make any sense. Like, uh, working with the gallery, that gallery ended up not really working out in the end. Um, I had to like give up the studio and like have no studio. And I kind of like, that's when I got back into like, you know, drawing because it was the only thing I could do. Cause like, I just could work in my apartment. And so I just would draw. And then I found, found my, got my, my old studio back in Philly. So I just came back to Philly and I just like cherish the space now. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was like been kind of a scramble. And like after that too, after I moved back to got my studio back in Philly, I kind of like was like, I'm going to take it a little bit more easy in the studio. I'm going to pay more attention to like my really bad job. I'm going to try to like apply myself to become, you know, to become like some sort of management, blah, 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 of this stupid ass company that I was working for. And you know, I really put all my energy into that because at the time it was the only thing I kind of had. And, um, you know, I was, I felt really good doing that, <laughs> but then COVID happened and then they just like dropped me. Like I was fucking, you know, like I was worthless. So it didn't. Wow. Yeah. So then I, I kind of just, all I had was, this, all I had was a studio Unfortunately, I had unemployment too, so I just just worked, and then yeah, I mean it's been a weird ride, you know. So I mean, I'm I'm glad that at now, like I mean, kind of knock on wood, cross my fingers, who knows? But you know, I'm fortunate enough to have like you know, I'm I mean, people are paying attention to me a lot more, and I have to show it. Derek Eller, I have a show with you guys. Mm -hmm. I've, I showed at this place called Storage, which is with a friend of mine from Cooper on Yetica. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been, I've been very blessed, like during after COVID and having everything sort of fall apart and kind of art has once again come back into my life and like kind of saved me in this weird way. So 
I'm very thankful for, I mean, it's been like a hard journey, but, you know, but yeah, here I am. I'm not, I, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe in a weird way, like Bard kind of like prepared me for the ups and downs of really being an artist and not in some sort of like false, false like simulacrum of what it's like to be, uh, you know, blue chip, blue chip, like <laughs> art, art star, you know, yeah. so like, um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like a, yeah, I've just been very realistic about my expectations about things and, and yeah, I'm just like in a, a fortunate situation right now, but that can change very quickly. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a wrap? Is that all she wrote? Oh, uh, there's a bunch of more questions. Um... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, we can go through them. All right, let's do one more wild card question. How about that? Throw me a wild card from the from the list of questions. Okay. Um... Curveball. Curveball time. Your work is examining colonial history and imperialism from centuries past. How do you feel about the state of our country and race relations now? All right. The ultimate curveball question, man. The <laughs> one that the one that nobody wants to answer, but everybody wants to answer. Um, hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to try to make predictions about what the fuck what the fuck is gonna happen you know but like you know we we just went through four years of donald trump america i don't know if really america's really realized that it's always just been a racist ass fucking country and that it's probably never going to change because the power dynamic because racism is embedded within the like economic social and economic like structure of our country and the founding of it you know it's in the fucking constitution and in like i don't know maybe i'm i'm a little conspiratorial here but like no, i don't know i think like as somebody who is of you know african american lineage like you look back on history and you know for white people like shit goes from like man i had a horse horse and buggy like fucking 40 years ago and now motherfuckers are going to the moon and then you know and then for you know yeah for african african american it's like you know, my my grandmother worked at a factory. My dad worked at a factory, and he's a manager. And I work at a factory, and I'm a creative or something. You know what I mean? It's very slow. You know, like like progress is happening, but like I feel like if you're a person of color, you really kind of realize that you know, like things things happen a lot slower than the expectations of white people, the way that white people have the expectations in life and the things that they want, you know, and that, you know, you kind of have to think, you kind of have to just move, you know, go with the flow of time and, you know, have aspirations and stuff and put put energy towards that. But, you know, it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow and it's definitely not something that's gonna happen for nothing you gotta you really have to you really have to work all the time 
and you have to work a lot. And it's almost, it's crazy because you see other people in life and their things are easy. It's almost like, it's almost like things are handed to them, yeah. you know, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's not what it's like for you. And you, you have to just, you have to just know that, you know, with hard work, you know, it's stupid and it's cliche and whatever, but I mean, it's the only truth I've ever found in my life is, is if you, if you work really hard on something like progress accumulates, you know, like progress materializes itself. So I kind of hold, I kind of hold myself to that and I hold my, I hold history to that too. So I think like, you know, things are going to, you know, progress, but it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be fast, you know, and there's going to be a lot of dips and bumps along the way. So, you know, you know, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully the police will stop killing, killing black men for nothing in, in 10 years. (laughs) I mean, it's, I'm like laughing, but it's not fucking funny. It's like fucking absolute facts. Like it's just, what's funny is that it's tragic, you know? And that's something that is in a weird way. It's like the only thing you can do in defiance of, of, of oppression, you know, is laugh at it, you know? I don't know. That's my point of view. Maybe other people don't have that point of view, but that's my point of view is you kind of have to smile, smile as you're going into the meat grinder. Cause <laughs> that's the only shit you can do. <laughs> oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you gotta try to find some moment of, ha- you know, some instances of happiness because you only have one life, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh. yeah, it, it it makes sense. You have to have some sort of reaction, otherwise you're kind of soulless or you're numb yeah. or don't feel anymore. So it's unfortunately um, well beyond that, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I you know, I think we talked about it a little bit the other day as well, but it's it's just, uh, and then even with the, the Adam Curtis documentary, you know, I, I only watched a portion of it, but, um, you know, I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, the poeticism I came across, but it was also like very like um powerful in that it was like just going through like the past uh well, six sixty years or so seventy years you know it's going mm-hmm. through England and Russia and China um yeah and America and just like all this like all these hidden secrets yeah. and agendas and um, or po- possible agendas because it, yeah. it is a projection. It's a projection by the author, so you you have to be you have to be like skeptical. You're you're skeptical of it, you know. And that's I think what 
contributes to the feeling of it being like a conspiracy theory. You know what I mean? Well, not like not in a bad way though. I felt like, um, you know, objectively you could be like dismissive of it because it's so like anti mainstream or like what's prescribed throughout history, like what's taught throughout history. And some of these like things that aren't talked about out of, um, just people not being able to deal with uh, their, you know, racism or racism in their own country or just these uh, systems of control, I, f I feel like. Or the evolution or the fallout of um, imperialism, really. Yeah. You know, I it's, mean, that's the way I've, I look at it. It's like a, it's kind of like a, well, he, I don't know. It's, it's nestled in a bunch of things. It's, this is just an aspect of it for what I get out of it. What I get out of Adam Curtis is that he's really good at articulating in a poetic way, the, um, the kind of the, yeah, the fallout of like imperialism, because I think he's right. He, if, if you're thinking about him as a writer, he's writing from the point, the perspective of England falling mm -hmm. from being an imperial, like from the sun never setting on the English empire, the British empire, right? Like from India to, to South America, to the Caribbean, to Australia, like to Canada, like this place ruled the world for, you know, hundred years or more and and you know after world war ii it was nothing you know yeah. all of them all you know it was reduced to rubble and it and in a weird way it kind of forecasts what i mean i've always looked at it as kind of i mean mainly too because i'm you know my mother my mother family is of this like right. generation where like the where england was kind of falling apart and um it's interesting that they moved to Detroit because Detroit was uh, when they moved there was also falling apart, mm -hmm. you know, for different, for, for different reasons. And those reasons happened to be racism and America's imperialism with the Vietnam war. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's always struck a chord. Adam Curtis has always struck a chord with me. It's always felt like familiar um, to me because mm -hmm. of, uh, because of his perspective yeah. as like somebody going through like an empire collapsing, you know? So. Yeah. But it was just, uh, it is interesting watching it because, um, just going through this, the history that he's covering of, you know, of imperialism from different countries mm -hmm. or like, um, the collapse of it or how they deal with it or grow yeah. something new. It's just something about it is like very, you know, all these, a lot of these histories are very dark and, um, um, very like heavy to, to take in and watch and, you know, and I guess yeah. just for me, like, you know, just, yeah. Thinking about just the rise of populism, um, and just a, throughout the whole world and, and also just you know, how people just like, you know, like we were talking about the capital siege a little bit before, but just like how people just like aren't afraid or just it's like this white supremacy is just like unified or something or like people aren't afraid no, to man. hide their racism. That's the thing. No, no, no. That's the thing. It's always there. Yeah. It's like a part of America, you know, it's in the fabric of this 
country yeah you know like this 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 it's 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 like you know we got rid of like segregation we got rid of slavery but this shit is still in people it haunts people's minds it haunts people's lives yeah. it haunts people's personal histories mm-hmm. you know and it's going to be a hard thing to you know because it's like the origin story of this country the origin story of the united states is that it's a country that started by killing a bunch of people mm-hmm. that lived here originally and then bringing a bunch of people from another part of the world to work for free yeah <laughs> and that's not going away you know what i mean like motherfuckers are still do- i mean sorry sorry swear like that but like people like People in industry, people who are high up in industry and in business in the United States still have this mentality and it's not going to go away because ideology trickles down from the top. Yeah. Down, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, people, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's what creative people have the access or the, yeah have the ability to do is to kind of remind people of their you know their origin story their myth uh mythos you know like so yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so is you want to is you want to wrap it oh sure yeah you know just uh yeah thanks thank you so no much problem, um thank was... you i thought i was like really anxious going into this <laughs> i was like oh uh yes i mean i was like because yesterday like i had to deal with some stuff and you know i was also like just like man i hope i don't come off like a crazy person <laughs> no not at all Which, i mean you it's... know i don't know if i can help that but like yeah no um, I, I mean it's uh I think, you know, like just all this stuff just needs to be talked about and out in the open, you know, it's, um, yeah. so yeah, no, no worries about that. And I mean, yeah, I'm, I was just like, you know, I was starting to watch part two of the documentary before, <laughs> before he called, but I'm just like really yeah. enthralled in it and it's just, it's really amazing and I, I really like the, the tone and the speed of it, you know, and it's it's cool. It's like, you know, kind of completely different subject matter, but you know, it sort of reminds me of like Chris Marker's movies. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's like a weird combination of like Chris Marker and Werner Herzog, the ones that he does the voiceover for. Yeah. You know, like like Heart of Darkness and shit. You know. Right. Like, it's interesting. Like, he's projecting this world, you know. But with Adam Curtis, it's like he almost seduces you with the poetics or, you know, mm-hmm. of how he reads history, you know. That, yeah. No, I mean, that's why I enjoy him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I thought it would be a good thing to – definitely a good thing as, like, a reference, at least to, like, the way that I think about making stuff or what I would ins- – in terms of like impact or whatever or like how I choose to use history and I think it would be like 
or reference history is I, I feel like it, it is like in this like I think yeah Adam Curtis his process is kind of helpful in showing me a way to use history in a way that's like informative but at the same time kind of like poetic mm -hmm. you know so yeah okay cool man <laughs> awesome <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah thank you so um, much it was uh, cool yeah amazing okay but um all right cool yeah thanks cool. again and no problem thank you cool have a good night all right all right you too later all right. bye